I was, uh, I was thinking during worship, two different things struck me. One, I was, as we were singing, uh, Jesus loves me and forever reign, uh, I couldn't help but notice as Trey was singing in the back over there, and uh, just the joy that he had while he was singing Jesus loves me. Uh, you know, it makes me think, you know, so- sometimes we want to hush children, we want to keep them quiet, and Jesus said, don't do that, let the little children come to me. And so I just, uh, I loved hearing him, and seeing his face just light up, uh, uh, seeing his parents as they're singing along with him, it's just a beautiful thing. And then the second thought was, uh, as Kendall uh, was announcing Revelation song and dismissing our uh, kids to, to children's worship, uh, one child let out a shout of praise, um, and somebody mentioned to me that uh, it might be because he didn't have to listen to the sermon. Um, that was my kid, uh, and it sounded like he influenced other yells in the back, so uh, we'll see where that goes. Well, we're in... Week number two of our series from James that we are, are calling real. Last week we kicked, off this, uh, we kicked off this series and we're talking about all of these different ways in, in which we can be real because I think that if we are going to call ourselves Christians, we need to be authentic in doing that. Do you agree with me? That we need to be authentic followers of, of Christ. We looked at a couple of definitions. You know, the first one there, it's talking about the, uh, an existing thing. That it actually exists as a thing, occurring in fact, not, not imagined or, or supposed. But the definition that we're more interested in is the second one. As it talks about the substance of a thing. Being real is not imitation. It is not artificial, and it's not genuine. You know, and that's, that's what we're striving for as, as followers of Christ. Okay? We want to be real. We don't want to be unauthentic. We want to be genuine. We want to show that what we say, we don't just say, we actually do. We actually put into practice into our lives so we're trying to be genuine we're trying to be real and as we said last week followers of Christ must be real I want you to say this with me two times really loud as followers of Christ we must be real come on a little louder as followers of Christ we must be real do you believe that good do you want to put that into practice in your life good i think that's what scripture is calling us to or rather i think that's what god i think that's what jesus i think that's what the holy spirit is trying to work in the lives of of each and every believer that we should be real that we should be uh, attempting to influence those around us for jesus now then as i said last week being real does not mean being perfect. Because we know 
that none of us is perfect, right? None of us are perfect. We all have stuff going on in our lives, okay? We all have some kind of baggage, uh, some kind of something that's in our past or in our present where we're not doing all that great, okay? And to present ourselves as perfect, like I've got this perfect life and I've got this you know, my, everything is just perfect. My marriage is great when it's crumbling on the inside. And yes, my faith is awesome when really it's not underneath. You know, you're, you're struggling with it. To present that, to present this perfect existence, this perfect faith, guess what? That's not real at all. That's not real. That is disingenuous. That is not authentic. That is, that is imitation. Okay? To be real says, yeah, I've blown it. Yeah, I don't have it all together. Yeah, I don't do it right all the time. To be real, to be real takes a lot of pressure off in a way. Because we're not trying to be something that we never could be to begin with. Does that make sense? And so it allows us to be real and it allows us to, to let our guard down a little bit and say, here's who I am. But you know what that also does? It makes, us, it makes us approachable. So we ask, okay, so what is the purpose of this? Why are we talking about being real? Well, last Sunday I, I shared with you an, an article that I think really captures why. And I want to I share it with you again this week by a guy named Trey Morgan. The title of it is They Curse, Cheat, Sleep Around, and Get Drunk, and Then Invite Me to Church. He says, I have a friend that's not a Christian, but she's very curious about my faith, my beliefs, and my Christianity. She didn't grow up in any religion or church and knows very little about the Bible. She often asks me questions about Christianity that are very simple, honest and sometimes downright painful sometimes your questions are very childlike such as does it bother god when i curse and why is it wrong for me to hate someone but it was her last question that she asked me that really set me back on my heels she was totally serious when she asked why is it that the christians at my workplace can be dishonest sleep with someone in the office that's not their spouse Ask me to get drunk with them at a party on Saturday and then invite me to go to church with them on Sunday morning. Something about all of that doesn't seem to be right. Honestly, I was floored. Her simple yet serious question was a slap in the face to the lifestyle of Christianity that Jesus taught and wants me to live. Her question was 100% serious she wasn't trying to bash what I believe or rub my nose in professing Christians' inconsistencies. She just didn't understand it and wanted to know. None of it made sense to her, and honestly, none of it makes sense to me either. I did my best to answer her, but it frustrated me knowing that all my words won't have near the impact on her that her co-workers' actions will. Now, I said last week, that's a... That's a damning article, is it not? It is, and that hurts a little bit. Okay, but it also to call us to something 
deeper, something better. She says as she talks about those different things, those people that she interacts with on her job who, who call themselves Christians, she says that something about that doesn't seem right. And I agree with that, don't you? I would also say that something about that, calling yourself a Christian and then acting this way, something about that doesn't seem real. As a matter of fact, it seems, it seems two-faced. To present ourselves one way during the week and present ourselves another way on, on Sundays. Okay, that's not real. That is not genuine. And that... That right there, friends, that's the kind of Christianity that we want to move past. That's the Christianity right there that causes people to walk away from Jesus. It's what uh, uh, Brennan Manning said. He said something to the effect of uh, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world is Christians who claim to love Jesus claim to know Jesus, and then go out and deny Him by their lifestyle. We don't want to be known as that kind of Christian. Can I get an amen, a hearty amen on that? We don't want to be known as that kind of Christian. We want to be known as real and authentic and genuine followers of Christ. And I think the book of James is going to help us do that. Open up to James chapter 1 if you haven't already. Or, if you're reading from a Spanish translation, the book of Santiago. James is calling us to humility. He's calling us to a, a closer walk with his older brother, Jesus. And he demonstrated that right off the bat last week as he talked about trials and, and what it means to go through trials and how we are to, to go through these trials. And in chapter 1, you know, we ended in verse 12 last week. We're going to pick up, we're going to start again at verse 12, and we're going to move on down through, through verse 18. And it's in this passage that I think James is going to show us how to be real. I think he's going to show us what the source of, of temptation is and how to deal with that as we talk about real honesty. And so last week we closed by reading verse 12 that says, Blessed is anyone who endures trials. Such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who, who love Him. Now he picks up in 13, or we pick up in 13 today, and it says, No one, when tempted, should say, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and He Himself tempts no one. And what I think is happening right here is that James has spent those first few verses talking about outer trials, and then now he has shifted to, to inner temptations. The things that we deal with in our minds and in, and in our hearts. And so he says, no one who is tempted or no one who is going through trials, no one should say, I'm being tempted by God. I'm being tempted by God. Because, A, one, 
God is not tempted by evil. And two, God will not tempt you with evil himself. Okay, the God that we serve, he's not a, like a cosmic bully just sitting off in the cosmos somewhere trying to, to set traps and wait for us to just trip and mess up. Now, a lot of people have that conception of God or that misconception of God. They think that that's what he wants us to do. It's that sinners in the hands of an angry God mindset when I don't think that's really what God is doing. You know, it's not that he's not the child with the magnifying glass that's burning ants. Okay? Our God is loving. And here's the thing. Our God is, number one, He's too holy to be tempted. But He's also too loving to tempt us. Does that make sense? He's too loving. He doesn't want to trip us up. He wants us to do well in life. He wants us to be, be drawn to Him. Now then, that doesn't mean God won't sometimes test us. Because we see that in the Bible. Remember in Genesis 22, Abraham and Sarah have finally had a child. The child of the promise, Isaac. He's finally born after waiting years and years. And then in Genesis chapter 22, God taps Abraham on the shoulder and says, Hey, I want you to sacrifice your son to me. And we know how the story goes. We know that, that Abraham goes and he takes his son, he places him on the, the altar, and just as he is about to strike the death blow, God stops him. God was testing his faith. And he would not let Abraham kill his child. He would not, give up, would not let Abraham give up the life of his own son, something that God would later do himself. He would give up his own son. And he was testing Abraham. Now then, God might test us, but God will never tempt us. Okay? And when he tests us, the reason he does this is to improve our character, to grow us, to help us mature in our, in our walk with him. God never entices us to sin. Okay, it's, it's we, it's us that turns the, the testing into sin. And so he says, no one should say that God is tempting you. Because God, God doesn't do that. God does not tempt you. And he goes on in 14. And he says, but... One is tempted by one's own evil desire, being lured and enticed by it. Then when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and that sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Okay? What James is doing right here, he's saying, look, don't blame God for this. Okay? You're tempted by your own evil desires. Now then, let's, let's talk about desires. Let's talk about temptations for just a minute. Let's talk about temptations first. Every one of us face temptations all the time. Yes or no? 
Absolutely. There's nobody that is immune to temptation. Okay? All of us face temptation. Is it wrong to be tempted? Yes or no? No, it's not wrong to be tempted. What, where the problem comes in is when we give in to those temptations, right? Now then, we all have desires, yes or no? We all have desires. And some of those desires are very, very good, yes or no? And those good desires, they come from God, yes or no? Yeah, and we know that, okay? The psalmist would say that God longs to give us the desires of our heart. Okay, so there are good desires that come from God. Okay, I mean, it is very natural to desire food. Yes? Okay, it's natural. Yes, yes, it is. It's natural to desire something to drink when you're thirsty. Yes? Okay, we desire sleep, do we not? Yes, okay. You know, sex is a natural desire. The problem comes in when we seek to satisfy those desires outside of the will of God. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Okay, those desires are all perfectly natural. They are all 100% from God. But when we try to fulfill those desires outside of the way God wants us to do things, that's when we get ourselves into trouble. Right? So, eating, eating or being hungry is a, a, a natural desire given from God. Gluttony is the sin. Does that, does that make sense? Okay. Sleeping is a natural desire. To crave sleep is a natural desire from God. Laziness is the sin. Does that make sense? Okay. Sex within your marriage is a natural and okay desire to have that is completely from God. But sex outside of your marriage with someone else that's not your spouse, that's the sin. That's the problem. Do you see it? Okay, and, and that's the difference. Okay, God gives us desires, but when we seek to fulfill those desires in ungodly ways, that's where we, that's where we get ourselves into trouble. And so what James is saying here, don't say God is tempting you. Because it's your own evil desires that are leading you away. Okay? Then, in verse 15, then what that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And that sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Sounds like what Paul said in Romans, doesn't it? The wages of sin is, say it, death. The wages of sin... The wages of sin is death. He says, don't be deceived. I think what James is driving at here is don't blame God and don't blame others for the messes we make of our lives. Does that make sense? I mean... We all make messes in our lives from time to time, do we not? Yes, we do. And a lot of times, you know, and here's the thing, and this is what gets Christians in trouble. A lot of times, a Christian does something, they blow it, they say something, they do something, they go somewhere they shouldn't have done, whatever it is, they do something that they should not be doing, and then offer excuses for why they do it. 
or they justify their behavior to someone when they say, hey, I thought you were a Christian. Why are you talking like that? Why are you saying those words that you really ought not be saying? Why are you doing those things that you claim you don't do, yet you're, you're doing them? And they say, oh, well, you know, I had a bad day. Or they blame somebody else for it. Well, you know, somebody else, they just said something to me that just got me all whatever. You know? Well, they end up blaming the devil. Devil made me do it. Okay? Yeah. See, I think (laughs) it's so easy to do that. Okay? It is easy to blame someone else. It is easy to make excuses when we blow it. Is it not? But guess what? That is not real honesty, is it? But it goes back to the very beginning. I mean, Adam and Eve. Okay, we know how the story goes. Adam and Eve are in the garden. They take the fruit. They shouldn't have done it. God shows up and says, hey, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you all of a sudden clothed? You know, why do you have that aftermarket upgrade? I created you naked. You know, what's the problem here? What's going on? And then Adam, instead of saying, I took the fruit, I shouldn't have done it, it's on me. Adam blames Eve. And not only blames Eve, he blames God in the process. He says, that woman that you gave me, gave me that fruit and I ate it. So this is y'all's fault. You see that? He blames both of them. Eve turns around and does the same thing. It wasn't me. It was the serpent who did it. It is so easy for us to pass the buck. Is it not? And that's what gets us in trouble. That's what makes Christians look so hypocritical. I don't think it's not so much. I don't think it's so much that we don't have our lives completely together. I think it's we don't have our lives completely together, and yet we act like we do, and we tell other people who don't have their lives together how to live their lives. Does that make sense? When we need to be honest and we need to be real and say, hey, look, I don't have it all together. Okay, this, this following Jesus stuff's not all the time so easy. And I bless, mess up and I, I say things and I, you know, sometimes I don't get it right. I was talking to a lady earlier this week. And she was saying these very same things, you know. She said, I just, sometimes I, I say things I don't need to say. She goes, I know I shouldn't. And I said, hey, look. I said, I get it. I do too. I say things I don't need to say. But the deal is, I mean, you're, you're talking about it. You're not, you know, she wasn't acting like she had it all together. She was being real and she was being genuine. And you know what that does? That makes you approachable. Does it not? Because then somebody who doesn't have their life together and say, well, you know what? They were honest with me. They admitted that they had faults, so maybe I can talk to them about some stuff I got going on in my life because I know they've been there, and I know they're not going to judge me because they said themselves they don't have it all together. Okay? Being open and being honest when we blow it, that's, that's being real. That leads me to the point of the morning. Real honesty. 
Real honesty means we don't make excuses or blame others for our mess. But it means we own it and we ask forgiveness. Does that make sense? That's what that means. Real godly honesty means we accept it when we mess up. We don't cast blame. We don't pass the buck. Real honesty means, hey, look, I don't have it together. And it means that I have to go to someone and I have to say, look, I I said something I shouldn't have said. I was a complete jerk or whatever else I was. I was a complete jerk. Please forgive me. That's what real honesty is. It means that sometimes we have to make an apology for our behavior, for not living up to the standards that we're trying to to live up to and you know what that does that shows that we're trying to be genuine now then that person may still think you're a hypocrite but at that point that's at least you know that's not on you anymore because you're trying to do the right thing you're trying to do the godly thing okay and so when you blow it when you mess up own up to it admit it to the one that you're that you've wronged or have witnessed you do something that you shouldn't be doing And don't make an excuse while doing it. The biggest way to kill an apology is to attach an excuse excuse on the end of it. You know, I'm sorry I was a jerk, but... You know what I'm talking about? And then you fill in the blank. Oh, I was having a bad day. I'm sorry I acted the way I did, but my wife... You know... That right there kills the apology. You might as well not even make the apology because what you're doing is then you're making yourself the victim. You are justifying your bad behavior. And guess what? That's not being real. And it's not being honest. Just say, hey, look, I blew it. I shouldn't have acted that way. I'm sorry. Would you, could you please forgive me? That is real. And that is honest. Now, then it's not easy. That's that's what it is. Don't blame God. Don't blame others. Look at our own lives. And if there's places where we've blown it, we need to own it and accept it and move forward. Move forward from there. Now then, you want to know why you don't say that God is tempting you? Verse 17 and 18 deal with this. Don't say that God tempts you. Why? Verse 17, because every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. You know what no variation means? It means that God is not two-faced. That's what what that's saying. That God is not two-faced. God is the... The giver of good gifts. Everything good that, that you and I have, that comes from God above. And God is not two-faced. God is, yeah, say it with me. God is real. God is real. In fulfillment of His own purpose, He gave us birth by the words of truth so that we would become a kind of first fruits of His creatures. In other words, that we would become the crown of all His creation. You see, this passage is 
This passage is about the source of our temptation. It's not from God. This passage is about not making excuses, but it's about real honesty, and it's about admitting and seeking forgiveness when we've blown it. So a couple of questions. Do you find yourself making excuses or justifying sin in your life? Are you tempted to blame God or others for your messes? Are you allowing your inner evil desires to lure you away from God's will? And if you answer yes to any of those questions, then I want to remind you of the point that James is making, the point that we've been driving at all morning. And it's that real honesty means we don't make excuses, we don't blame each other for our mess, we own it, and we ask for forgiveness. That, I think, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I think doing it that way is what helps us to have Real honesty. And so that's what I want to leave you with this morning. If you find in your life that you have been making those excuses, if you find that uh, you've been justifying your behavior, when somebody says, hey, uh, I thought you were a Christian, you're like, yeah, 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 I'm a Christian, but I had a bad day. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but somebody cut me off in traffic and... If you find that you're constantly being pulled away and enticed by evil desires. I want to ask, are you being real? And are you dealing in real honesty as you engage the world around you? The people that you work with. The people that live near you your family, our community? Do we have real honesty? And if not, change. Or rather, let Jesus change you. Bring that mess and give it to Jesus. And let Him change you. And here's the thing. We don't have to be ashamed because we've already admitted as a group that none of us have it together, right? That means we're already being real, right? But we can keep that going as we try to be real. If we can help you, if we can pray for you, if we can baptize you in the name of Jesus this day, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?